Welcome to The Bottleneck. The Bottleneck is a podcast dedicated to the love of factory and automation games. We're here to bring you the latest news and game reviews in the genre. I'm your host, Dave, joined by my fellow co-host, longtime friend, and virtual drinking buddy, Chris. We have decades of gaming experience across a variety of gaming genres, and have, in the past couple years, shared a deep appreciation for factory and automation games. We're going to start off today by talking about our first bottleneck, What's in the Glass? Which 8-bit beer are you drinking today, Chris? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I am drinking their late winter spring seasonal called Offensive Tanuki. It is, if anybody doesn't know, Tanuki is when Mario is in the raccoon type outfit in Super Mario Brothers 3. Um, that's the Tanuki, and the can has Mario with the little swear symbols above his head because he's the offensive Tanuki, right? But this is a IPA made with lime leaves, and it adds a nice little uh, citrusy bite to it. It's really one of my favorite beers that he brews all year. So nice, definitely okay. uh, one of my favorites. What about you? What are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a Bee Nectar Zombie Killer Hard Cider that I found today. It's a uh, hard cider with honey and cherries. I, I enjoy a good cider now and again. And this one's pretty solid. Nothing to complain about. It's not too too sweet. Yeah, it sounds delicious. My only, like, I kind of tend to shy away from cherry things because a lot of them tend to get that, like, artificial, like, cough medicine cherry. But well, that's I'm because sure you don't live close to Michigan, which has yeah. the best cherries. <laughs> this is true. Current events and news around the factory and automation game genre. Uh, we have a few notable patches to talk about. Final Upgrade added a disassembler mode. Uh, basically, planets provide composite resources that you then need to take apart back to their primaries to make what the colonists demand. Be an interesting new way to play that game if I ever Absolutely. get back into it. Oh, yeah. Mega Factory Titan, which we haven't really taken a look at yet, had a major update that included mod support and some major graphics and performance improvements. And when it's still in early access, uh, I, like I said, we haven't taken much of a look at it, but it sounds like it's getting to a pretty good place and we'll need a deeper look soon. And then Planet Crafter added a new logistics systems with drones and fish. That sounds really interesting. And another one that we're going to have to take a look at here soon. Yeah. Just, just to clarify, the the logistics systems with drones is one thing. And then there are also fishing. Like, there's a fishing mechanic and fish added to the game as well. Oh, I misread that. I'm glad you're here to correct that. And then Factory Town Idol started a play test in other news. I was able to enroll and started playing a little bit. Chris, of course... Uh, signed up and still hasn't gotten in because nobody ever lets him into things. It's definitely an idle game. It has a lot of the same like items and general basic setup as Factory Town where you have workers and houses and such. Uh, I, it's not really a factory game, I don't think. But, you know, it's based on a factory game, so we'll still talk about it. And we love idle games. Yeah, it's one of those, as soon as the announcement came out that they released it, I ran over to the page and signed up, and crickets. <laughs> so, as usual, snubbed again. Maybe and, you'll get there someday. Yeah, maybe. And then Tectonica posted an excellent update. Uh, for those of you that thought the UI was a little bit cluttered, they released an update that streamlined and simplified it, so... You can actually see more of your factory now without too much of the UI encroaching on your viewing area. So I thought that was a very positive update. Yeah, it's really killing me to keep seeing all these interesting news articles that they post every week and still never be able to actually play the game. Soon, though, I think we're going to see it here in 2023. So just yeah. got to be. And patient. I'm sure it'll be early access for sure in 2023. Infraspace's terraforming update has a release date of March 10th, which, as of this recording, is coming very soon, so it will definitely already be in the past when you're listening to this. Hopefully that launch will go smoothly. Uh, another one that we'll have to be talking about sometime in the near future.
So for this week, instead of talking about a particular game, we are talking about a mechanic once again, and we are going to talk about power. The main usage for power as a mechanic in this kind of game, besides being flavorful for powering a factory, is that it's a limiting factor on your factory. It has different levels of focus and annoyance in different games. Some of them it's a huge deal and hard to deal with. Uh, Some of them it's just sort of an afterthought. Uh, But for a large number of these factory games, it's really the primary way to sort of limit your growth so that you don't go crazy spamming things everywhere really quickly. There are a few exceptions to that. Like Autonauts doesn't really use a whole lot of power. It has some at the high levels, but early on your limitation is the bots, not power really. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a very common mechanic in these games. It usually scales as you go through the game. As you get into your late game technology, you have buildings that require a lot more power to run. Then you also are getting other sources of power that are more efficient or at least provide more power than your earlier versions. So there's a lot to talk about with power. We're going to start by just giving a a basic overview of some of the ways that power is provided in different games. And then we're going to do a a deeper dive into how that all fits together. Yeah, so right off the top, we have Factorio, uh, the progenitor of the genre, right? And there's three main power generations in the vanilla game. And I mentioned the vanilla game because this is one that's heavily modded and some of the bigger mods like space exploration introduces new types of power generation. But in the vanilla game, there's three basic types. You first start out with steam boilers. You could feed that coal, um, wood. And then you have the UPS-friendly solar power followed by the nuclear power. Now, depending on the type of game you play, some people favor solar over nuclear because it's UPS friendly, but we'll get into that later. And then power storage is very common with these games for uh, handling power spikes or brownouts, right? So with Factorio, you can use uh, accumulators, which is the type of energy storage Factorio uses. And then the next big game, Satisfactory, there's several power types that kind of scale throughout the game. So the first one to get started with is biomass burner. This is one where you run around and you collect different leaves and wood and whatnot, and you can feed it into it directly, or eventually you can make actual biomass, uh, like little biomass bricks that you can feed into it. Huge Uh, pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. It's a little bit of a pain. You know, it's still manual. But then you finally get to your first automated setup, which is the coal generator. And then from coal generator, you get into the fuel generation. What's nice about fuel versus coal is fuel doesn't require water as an input, if I recall. And then you get into geothermal, which is probably the easiest of all all of them. You just place it on the steam vent or the geyser, and it generates power, right? There's no other inputs or outputs you need. And then finally, the late game, you have the nuclear power. And that's all fine and dandy, but you have to figure out something to do with the waste, the nuclear waste. And then for power storage... Fittingly enough, their building is called the power storage building. And that's the big battery or the accumulator in the game for collecting power. Yep, very clever, right? And then just a little side note, and we'll get to this in the future as well, but biomass, despite being made of plants and trees and satisfactory, the biomass that spawns on the planet spawns only once at the beginning and never regenerates. So it's technically not a renewable resource, despite what you may think. Satisfactory, uh, by far the most fun I had playing it was when I added mods that had wind power and solar power as well. Um, that was made, my, made life a lot easier in the game. and Made me enjoy well, it a lot more, just because I didn't have to fight through quite as much biomass at the beginning. Yeah, and it's a pretty big, at least in the beginning, it's a pretty big jump from biomass burners to coal. Like, you go for a pretty long time playing before you unlock the coal power. Yeah, feels like forever. Especially the first time you're playing. Oh, yeah. And then the last of the big three, Dyson Sphere Program. Um, Really, the game is all about power, considering the end goal is to build the Dyson Sphere, which provides power. 
you have your basics like wind and solar um, that are pretty easy to provide. And then pretty quickly you get a basic burner power plant where anything that you can burn can be fed into it. Um, and it provides a, a, a step up in power from your wind power plants that you start with. It's like uh, almost 10 times as much power from one burner power plant, which is really nice. And eventually you get more powerful things that you can build to put into your burner power plants so they last longer. And then you get to mini fusion plants where you can start burning deuterium rods that provide a lot more power. And eventually you get to artificial suns where you put in antimatter rods. Uh, you can store and transport power with accumulators, which are both a building and kind of a building material slash consumable. You have energy exchanger buildings where you can uh, take full accumulators and suck the power out of them and return empty ones, sort of like rechargeable batteries. And you can transport those across the galaxy so that you don't need to have any like real power production on any planet beyond energy exchangers as long as you can send your empty accumulators somewhere where you do have power production. Your Dyson Sphere can also produce power on its own to your ray receivers, um, but usually you don't bother beyond the first few minutes of having sails or a sphere uh, doing that because it's just as efficient, if not more efficient, to convert them into photons, which you can use for antimatter rods or the ever important white research for your end game. Yeah, and I like the energy exchanger part of this. Um, mainly for my remote mining ops. When you use like an artificial sun or mini fusion plants on my remote mining ops, right? You have to feed them to start them. So you have to actually jumpstart it with fuel. And if for some reason something bottlenecked out, right? And your production of that rod stopped or you couldn't get it there fast enough and it ran out of fuel, you have to go back to that planet to re-jumpstart it, right? Or with energy exchangers, It'll feed them in regardless. You just have to get them there. So there's no jump starting. So I like the energy exchanging with the accumulators because I can go set up a remote mining op, slap down the blueprint for the energy exchangers, and then leave, right? I don't have to sit there and babysit and make sure it starts up and everything's fed with power. It'll just do it for me. So that's a yeah, huge that's, benefit for that. That's definitely the ideal way to do it. I'll often... Uh... Like mid-game, I'll, I'll often, on a new planet, set up uh, an ILS that's pulling hydrogen and just feeding uh, burner plants with that just because there's so much hydrogen from your uh, gas giants. Oh, yeah. That's, that's not quite as good. Like you said, it needs to be jump-started and can get screwed up. And then Factory Town. Um, so getting into the, the less-known Factory games now, it's only uses power in the late game uh, early on. It's everything. Your, your limitation is really your villagers, your people running around doing things. But the power is used mostly for boosting buildings rather than actually making them work at all. Um, you have steam power that can provide production boost to a lot of buildings and also run water pumps. And then you have mana power that you can use to run temples and shrine. And those give various boosts to other buildings as well. And you need to use pipes to move the steam and mana around. Um, different pipes for each. So that you can get those to the buildings that need the boosts. And then next is Cubic Factorium. Uh, Cubic Factorium kind of has the um, Rick and Morty style treadmill, right? I don't know if you've ever seen that episode where... Oh, yeah. Where they have to... Where they power his... The spaceship by running on those little platforms you know same thing you know you get your villagers to run out of treadmill and that kind of generates some some power they don't have to run on, on them constantly it kind of generates some power units and then it'll I believe you can hurt. also get some animals to run on the treadmills too exactly yeah you can train some sheep or whatever it is to run on them for you and then you eventually get a power plant which you can feed with burnables and then towards the end game you get solar power um, to kind of remove that need to constantly feed something with power. So it's a big one there. Then uh, in games that are not quite out yet, but we're 
looking forward to. If you've listened to us at all, you know how much we're looking forward to it. Uh, Tectonica, they actually had a recent email update that more or less spurred this episode. As it's not the first time that's happened. Um, so their main, the main power generation that they've shown so far is crank generators, uh, which you can either turn by hand or with water wheels. They also have talked about using accumulators to store power. That's what the email was about. And apparently they're going to be having a lot of interesting power spikes at various times to test the capacity of your factory to produce enough power. So when you have a monorail in the late game, there are going to be massive power spikes every time the monorail starts running. So you need to have stored power in your accumulators. You apparently won't really be able to provide those just with your actual power generation. So you'll need to be able to store up enough to make sure that those run steadily. And then as well, you have power spikes when you're researching late game techs, apparently. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. And the other more interesting thing that Tectonica does, none of the others do, is they use floors to transmit power rather than using like poles or anything like that. So we'll talk more about that later. And then in Captain of Industry, uh, in the early game, you basically burn diesel fuel and diesel generators to generate your electricity. Um, after a while, that kind of gets um, puts a strain on your diesel su- supplies. You're hitting you know the early mid game, and then you can unlock the boilers. So you feed in your coal into a boiler which spins a which uh, produces steam which you feed into a steam turbine which you then feed into the actual generator and you kind of lose a little bit of efficiency over time but it's definitely relieves the strain on your diesel infrastructure at that point and you can feed other things there's other burnables you can feed into the boilers and then later on you actually get electric boilers um but I believe the efficiency and the net gain on that is very little at that point. And then you eventually unlock solar power and nuclear power. So you get cooling towers, you hook those up with the steam to the same generators to generate your electricity. As with most parts of Captain of Industry, there's some some significant complexity of varying levels of interestingness in getting your power production set up. Yeah, because you got high steam and low steam and you have the different pipes and you know you route everything and there's waste you have to deal with, right? Like yeah. It can't just there's be there's a lot like, going on. Yeah. And like 30 ingredients later, or 30 different products later, you have you have steam power. So yep. And not everything requires power, which helps a little bit, but as you as you keep moving forward, as as you grow your factory, you're gonna need a lot of power. So can be a little tedious to set it all up but it's also an interesting logistical challenge speaking of tedious uh like i mentioned in the intro auto knots uh doesn't have a whole lot of power in the early game you actually need to recharge bots as the game was released anyways it's really just kind of turns into annoying busy work that you don't want to deal with You can automate bots to deal with it, but it's kind of a pain to figure out how to do that so that those bots don't run out of power and stop working. Um, Luckily, with the release of settlement mode and the consoles, um, even in the basic mode, uh, enlightenment mode, you can also turn off requiring recharging bots, which is a huge help. It makes the game a lot more playable, I'd say. And then late game starting in level four colonization, you start being able to build windmills and then water wheels and steam engines to give power to certain buildings that require it. A lot of the uh, buildings that you need to produce higher level goods. And it's really, it's really about rotational power rather than electric power per se. So you use like belts that turn to connect buildings to the power uh, in a somewhat interesting turn of events compared to a lot of the other factory games. That's pretty neat. And then finally is the game we we reviewed last episode, and that's Atrio the Dark Wild. And this one, you harvest globe plants, and then later on, three additional resources, the shroom, shroom fuel, ah, shroom fuel, blood fuel, and corrosive fuel. And those are used um, 
to generate power for the light bulbs. It's used in the fuel deep depot, kind of charges up the fuel depot, and then the fuel depot's drained away depending up- upon how many light bulbs you have powered. And then buildings in the game don't actually take power, but they have to be connected to the grid. Um, but the buildings themselves don't want to actually drain it. Um, this is a neat little concept because you have to place the glow bulbs out a certain, or the uh, light bulbs rather, you have to place them in kind of a grid they, where you want your factory to go. So it's a, it's a new concept. Um, you know, it's very similar to doing power poles, but you have to place them down first before you can place really anything else down. And kind of, and you kind of need it to explore and to light the map and make sure you don't get uh, attacked by any of the things hiding in the darkness. So that about covers it for the different games we're going to talk about specifically. Um, now we're going to broaden it and talk more about the different challenges that power presents in these games and how some of the big games handle that. So the first challenge we're going to talk about is finite resources. So what are you putting into your power plant or how are you generating your power with using limited resources in the world? Uh, How does that impact your game? Yeah, so the first one with Factorio, uh, the first big issue that a lot of new players come across is, one, how do you feed enough coal, right? How do you mine coal fast enough to feed it? And then you eventually get to the point where that initial coal field and the first ones that surround you start to run out pretty quick, especially when you get to like military science where you start to need coal to, as part of the science re- research. You know, to make the the black um, the black pots, right? You need those, but you know, you end up finding out you can only hook so many uh, boilers up to a single water in input. So you kind of run out pretty quick. It produces a lot of potion or pollution. Really gets the attention of the biters in the area pretty quick. So yeah, Factorio the coal becomes a very limiting factor right off the bat yeah i would say that factory does a good job of encouraging you to move off coal just because it's such an in-demand resource early on and it's produces so much pollution and it's a, a really a really good inducement to figure out how to change your factory around to be able to use other ways of getting power and to beeline those researches a little bit and then DSP, you know, you've also got coal. It's pretty limited. Uh, you can refine it into uh, energized graphite. There we go. And But actually, the energized graphite only actually produces as much as the base coal that goes into it. So it's not really worth uh, refining that just for power production. Um, as you start being able to mine your... Uh, as you start being able to mine your gas giants you're able to produce a lot of hydrogen, which you can also burn. And while it burns faster, if you have enough of it, that doesn't really matter. But, you know, the the burnable resources are, there there are a lot of different things you can throw in your burner power plants for Dyson Sphere program, but you really want to move away from it as soon as possible because it takes a lot of resources to provide not a whole lot of power. It's really good to move to fusion power plants as soon as possible or use, you know, massive amounts of solar fields so that you're not pumping resources that you don't have as much downtime. Especially on some of those tidally locked planets having solar plants. Yeah, I use that's where I put my energy exchangers, so I charge them up on a solar locked planet with solar. That's from what I've seen the the easiest way to get around that. But yep. yeah, with the uh with the coal into the energized graphite, I always find that your starting planet never quite has e- enough coal on it. You know, it seems like you have a lot right off the bat, but it actually ends up going away pretty quickly, and you're stuck. Yeah, especially if you're trying to find another method of of fuel for it. You know, usually it's hydrogen rods or something right off the bat to replace it, but then quickly into the into the and the doo-doo terium rods. 
Yep. And then, uh, like sometimes I even burn fire and ice. The other, the oh, it's burned so fast though, takes so much, but yeah. it is an infinite resource. So, yep. in a in a in a pinch, you can use it. And and actually, uh, to that point, um, I usually put a few burners on my uh, fire ice to nanotube, not nanotube to graphene lines. Because you just you gotta to put up. your overflow. So when you split fire ice, right? Yeah, it splits into hydrogen and into graphene, right? Well, you need the, yep. you know, you want to make sure you don't back that up, and you're producing both of them. So I always feed the extras, the overflow into uh, into the burner plants, just to keep oh, the production smart. lines going. That is an interesting thing about DSP power that you can throw a lot of different things into it. So if you have a point at which you're generating extra something like early on uh, when you need hydrogen for your red cubes and you're producing refined oil as a byproduct that you're not actually using yet, you can just start burning that refined oil until you actually need it. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting mm-hmm. ways that the DSP burnables fit together. Yeah, I think there's 17 different items in the game that are burnable. And I want to say 13 or 12 of the 17, you could just throw into a burner power plant to use them. Yeah, there's a, so, yeah, a achievement for that. I actually got it the other day, yeah. Burning all 17 fuels in your, in your mecha. So. And then lastly, satisfactory, um, with the finite resources, as we alluded to earlier, the biomass is limited on the planet so it doesn't regrow it doesn't respond back so the trees the grass all that stuff you pull that's it that's all you get it doesn't come back so um you have to be careful because you can quickly in some of the biomes really strip it of all its biomass and you end up running miles away just to find more so it's worth it to hurry up and get a coal line going soon as your you know soon as your research allows you to yeah biomass sucks that's all i have to say about <laughs> that so it takes up so much yeah it takes so much time up and you get some efficiency out of turning it into the actual biomass from leaves and wood but it's yeah i i i, I would usually the like best. throw out a a mini factory producing the biomass out of leaves and uh, logs just uh, throw, throw one assembler attached to a storage unit and throw as much as I can into that storage unit so it'll keep producing and then whenever I need to refuel I go back and yep. take what it's produced. And then the uh, next area that we want to talk about is power transmission. So this is a pretty common theme across the games that have power in them. That's basically how do you get the power from the factories that are producing it from the power plants to your actual factory buildings. Um, again, with the jump back to satisfactory, we we're just talking about, right? It's pretty simple. It's a kind of a modern way of looking at it. There's power lines and power poles and, you know, some power poles, I think right off the bat, it can only take five lines and then you get upgraded poles that can take seven and there's different, power points you could put inside of a wall to attach the inside to the outside of a wall or just more attachment points but you know basically uses power lines um and then on the power poles themselves there's some built-in switches and you can also use other types of power switches as well but overall you know it's pretty pretty common basic setup you just need uh power poles connecting everything and there's nothing, uh, every single factory, every single building has a, a little power a- attachment point to it. So you got to connect everything together. And and uh, I think the power poles themselves actually have a circuit breaker on them. So we'll, we'll get to that. But you can see the power generation, the max consumption, the mass generation uh, p- potential on it by looking at a power pole. So that's the... Uh, easiest way to or i guess the only way but everything has to be connected at some point and a little bonus there's a zip line utility that you can use to ride the power lines so help your pioneer get around to different areas of your factory quickly that was the one saving grace of those power lines 
I uh, it's a huge pain. Once again, the common theme with satisfactory coming out of my mouth, something is a huge pain. Uh, <laughs> I hated having so such limited connections on all the different poles. That's so like, oh, yeah, you've that's... got four connections. You need one of them to give power to it, and then you can connect two other buildings, and then you need to use save the fourth connection to connect another pole so you can do it all over again. Yeah, in mid-game, you annoying. unlock the, the large power pole or whatever it's called, right? And you do get um, you do get an upgraded one that has more connections to it. So I uh, think it has... I'm pretty sure I've rage quit before I've gotten to that point. <laughs> yeah, so there's a power pole, power pole Mark II, and a power pole Mark III. So four connections, seven connections, and ten connections. So well, that's much better. If only they didn't... Uh... Make you rage quick their prior. quality of life features behind a massive amount of busy work. <laughs> oh, that's the point of the game, right? Yep. Make you hate yourself. <laughs> and then Factorio and Dyson Sphere program both kind of take the same approach, more or less. Um, everything needs to be within the range of some kind of a power pole. In Factorio, you have a few different, uh, you have a small, medium, large power pole. And, you know, they have different amounts of range. The large power poles are really uh, there for going over large distances. They have farther connections between each other rather than a farther range of providing power. But the mediums are slightly better than the, um, the small. And then you have substations that provide power over a larger zone. And then the other thing about Factorio is you need to uh use those power pole ranges to also connect your different power producing buildings they don't have a, a range of their own so you need to have them within the influence of a power pole so that they can provide their power to the grid um, and that's one place where substations really come in handy so you can cover a lot of different uh solar panels rather than having a bunch of uh, power poles interwoven within your solar panels but in DSP, you have your Tesla towers, and then uh, your suborbital stations provide a lot more range. The wireless power transmitters are in there too that also help you power up your mecha. Um, and then the, the solar and wind and power plants have a little bit of range of their own, and they automatically connect to towers that are within the range. So they're not quite as demanding as the Factorio where they need to be uh, in the the power range of a, a pole of some kind. Yeah, and I, and I don't know about you, but early game in DSP, I actually use the wind the wind power plants as power poles. Uh, yeah, I, I start that way for sure, but I try to get away from it as soon as possible just because yeah. they take up a fair chunk of space for not not even as much range as a Tesla tower. Right. As soon as I can automate production of both of those things, then I start painting the coastlines with uh, wind power and using Tesla towers to actually provide power. Uh, third thing is if there are power spikes, what happens? Yeah, so both Factorio and DSP, you know, the factory kind of slows down as you overtax the power grid, right? So you'll see it'll say, uh, you know, you're only using, you're at 80% of demand or you're at 120 or 180 or 250% demand and the factories kind of slow down to match the power generation. So um, DSP, you'll actually hit a limit where it'll say you're overloaded and the factory will just stop. I think it's at 500%. But I think Factorio... Factorio would just, I mean, it'll run at 1% speed if that's all you're generating. Just super slow. And then, uh, yep. and then, uh, satisfactory. This is kind of the pain point to a lot of pioneers is, uh, when you overtax the, the power grid, it actually trips the breaker. And then, in order to start back up the factory and to reset the breaker, the, consumption demand on the power grid has to be less than the output of the grid in order to turn it back on. And that could be really painful because you end up going around and having to disconnect large swaths of your base in order to 
bring the breaker back online. So every time you go to reset it, it'll trip you immediately because it's overtaxed. So you eventually can get around that with the power storage buildings where you can actually uh, um, provide that buffer that if you go over for a little bit, it's not going to trip the breaker. That does help. We have to be very careful. And I end up overbuilding power storage buildings a lot more than I need. Because the last thing I want to do is have to run around all corners of the map, disconnection, disconnecting chunks of the factory just to, uh, you know, just to get them back online. Yeah, especially since a lot of the power production buildings kind of require power. Well, the coal. So especially when you're in the coal phase, you need power to be able to get your coal factory running because you need to be pumping water into it. Right. Which you can't do if you don't have any power. So if you trip a breaker and you don't have water in your coal factory, in your coal uh, power plant, you just you have to like set up a, a biomass generator somewhere and hook that back in and you're back to square one until you can get that set up again. Yep. It's really, really it can be painful. Mm-hmm. It can definitely be be very painful, but you know, make sure that you're diligent in keeping in front of your power demands and constantly checking that power graph. I would have been fired by Fixit Corporation long ago if I were an actual employee. <laughs> it happens. So the big question is, how does power affect your updates per second, or UPS? The big uh, measure of how the game is running when you have a mega factory. Yeah, so a lot of these tend to lean towards how it affects the late game, right? The end game of many of these, because you're not going to see the UPS crunch while you're in the early game. But when you get to end game and you got these big mega factories going, or with DSP, you might have 10, 15, 20 systems down, right? How does it affect it? And, you know, the first game that comes to mind is. Factorio, obviously, and a lot of people like nuclear because it's near infinite in most any map. It's, you know, a set it and forget it. It generates huge quantities of power. However, nuclear is actually pretty UPS demanding. So, you know, when it comes to late game mega factories, when you look at some of these people that are doing, you know, 5,000 to 10,000 science per minute, right? It's a big trend amongst them, and that's they're all using big solar farms and not using any nuclear fuel. And for DSP, it's a little bit the opposite. Um, so, you know, the solar panels, because of the way the planets rotate and how the solar changes, they actually are pretty UPS heavy, but... What's extremely UPS heavy is a complicated Dyson sphere. It can become really hard for the system to calculate the more nodes you get in your Dyson sphere. So, you know, the, if you're using artificial suns as your primary source of power, uh, that can get pretty hefty too. So there's a bit of a sweet spot in the fusion plants with the uh, deuterium rods that might be one of the better ways for late game factories to do power. But then on the other hand, artificial suns are one building that produces massively more power, so it can be a little more efficient, especially since you just you kind of need those huge Dyson spheres anyways to get your science permitted up. But I think just uh, being mindful that, you know, maybe less nodes, it's not as taxing on the... On the uh, the drawing and the calculations that it needs. And and that's one of the fixes when there's more nodes is just turn off the, um, you can turn off the visuals and all that for your Dyson sphere, but obviously they're working on ways to optimize when you have a massive Dyson sphere. Yeah. All the time. And then, um, satisfactory. I've never really come across where UP, I mean, UPS doesn't really, it's not a mega factory game. Yeah, it's not a exactly. I mean, even when some of the huge ones that I've seen, I don't really see 
you know, the game seems to be built to where you can't really hit the UPS limit or how they're doing UPS doesn't really seem to come into, into play much, right? Yeah, so, though I did see something about um, how because the default state of the game is to have all of the greenery present, if you basically clear the map of all your biomass producers, it's actually pretty bad for your UPS, for your frame rate. Oh, really? So you want to keep... You actually want to keep things spawned in the game. Yeah. Save on the UPS. Oh, that's weird. Okay. I, 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 that could be wrong. I, I think I read it on Reddit or something like that. So I'm not positive it's correct, but knowing coffee stains, that's probably how it is. Yep. (laughs) And then are you aware uh, of any final thoughts? What, what is your favorite kind of power to set up and maintain, Chris? Yeah. So, I love, and I've shown screenshots of this on our Discord, but I love doing big nuclear factories in Factorio. You know, I just have a, I have a set of blueprints that are awesome for kind of tiling it in, in infinitely in one direction. And, you know, I love, I think I can, my biggest one's been in like the 18 gigawatt range. So you really crank out some big time power with it. So. I really enjoy building out big nuclear plants. What about you, Dave? What's kind of yeah. your favorite form? So I usually end up petering out before I get to a mega factory in these games. So I usually go with the one that is the most fun to do in the early game, which in my my opinion is DSP because there are so many different things you can burn for fuel and then the the nuclear power, the the fusion generators are are pretty good well and provide a lot more power they're not that hard to set up um so yeah i'm a big fan of the way dsp does it and i love the the flexibility you get from it you can almost use it as a sink right so keep your assembly line going if there's a byproduct that you don't want it to back up you can always just feed it into into a burner and get a little extra power generation out of it yeah and the ease of sending massive amounts of power through space with the accumulators and the energy exchangers is really nice too. And it's so simple to set up like those, those by far like the uh, nuclear power and in Factorio, like if you want uh, the automated ones that are energy efficient, it's so complicated with all the different logistics um, items you have to do with the constant combinators and all that. Right. But DSP, it's just simple. It just works. Though I do want to give one shout out to Satisfactory for an actual ease of use uh, mechanic that the rail lines provide power, which is awesome. Like they, they, they are, they're usable as power lines, basically. Like you don't need to build a, a, a round of power lines next to your railroad tracks because you're able to transmit power through your rail lines, basically. And then is there anything that are in these games that you wish you had, like when it comes to power or is there anything you'd like to see games take a look at or anything that comes to mind? You know, I can't, can't really think of anything in particular. I am intrigued by the power floors in uh, Tectonica. I think that's an interesting way to do it. That's sort of a mixture of foundations and power poles. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really, th- there's a part of me that loves the like realism of setting up the power in Captain of Industry, but then when you actually have to do it, it's kind of painful. So I, I can't really say I miss that in other games per se. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I'm a, I'm really intrigued by the Tectonica floor panels as well um, being a guy that's hung around in data centers for a large chunk of my life you know power and data centers runs underneath the floor it makes sense right like when you put a server rack in it actually get the feed power underneath the floor from the power distribution unit so it's you know one of the most realistic when you're coming to a factory you know in many factories that's where the power lines go in the floor so yep. it makes sense and i think it's a neat me- mechanic and you know, it gives me some flashbacks a little bit, you know, from my data center days. But I definitely uh, 
definitely like it because it's the new unique way of doing things that's coming. So yeah, it makes sense if it feels like you're building a factory building more or less rather than exactly like a bunch of different factory buildings out in the open that are connected in various ways. Totally 100% agree is the most. That's why I'm really looking forward to Tectonica, you know, from what we've, what I played with it so far, definitely lends a good bit of realism to it. I think that's all we've got for our power discussion. If you'd like to chime in with any of your opinions or other games that you've found interesting mechanics in that we didn't talk about, please join our discord server. The link is in the show notes. The the link to our Discord server is in the description of the podcast and whatever platform you're listening on. And you can head over to bottlenetgaming.com. We have a link to it there. So if you don't have access to the show notes because you might be listening on a platform that may not provide it, just head over to the website and underneath the social link, you'll see a Discord. Click on that Discord button and it'll jump you right over to the Discord. That's the invite link to it. So. Looking forward to seeing you all there. Thanks for sticking with us as we powered our way through the game mechanic of the week. I don't know about you, but I'm all out of energy and I need another drink. So on to the second round of what's in the glass. What are you drinking, Dave? I need something powerful to get me through all your puns. So I went with the uh, Magnificent Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels with chocolate and coconut. Wow, that's a mouthful. Yeah, I picked (laughs) up a four-pack from Buckle Down Brewing, which is here in Illinois. Um, It had four different barrel-aged stouts uh, aged aged with different kinds of things. So this is the chocolate and coconut one. It's really good. It's got a lot of chocolate flavor to it, but it's not too hot. Um, the uh, I had the berry and vanilla one yesterday, which was a little too sweet for my liking. And then I had a coffee one that was also quite excellent. It's like the chocolate and coconut one. Um, and then I still have a pistachio and salt one in my fridge. I'm not sure I actually want to drink that, but we'll see. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> I like the the pistachio. You might need to send that my way. But I am on to another 8-bit beer, of course. I mean, big fanboy, as I've said before. And drinking the the Witcher Warmer again. So I think I've had this one on a previous episode. But I think I'm down to my last two, and that's it until next year. So, Alas. Yeah, that's how it goes. But just in time for the spring beers to come out. So it's a chocolate hazelnut Winter Warmer. A delicious beer. Uh, what have you been playing lately? Yeah, so lately, uh, been on a road a bunch. We went on another trip, so didn't get much screen time on my gaming computer. But you know, Steam Deck will will travel. So I've been doing. Uh, I went through the Octopath Traveler two demo. Played that to basically in one session all the way and. It's a neat game. Probably won't pick it up for AAA prices. You know, whatever it is, $60, $70 for it. Just hard to stomach that nowadays for a new game. And then also getting into uh, uh, Rim, playing a lot of RimWorld lately. So that's one of those. I got my brother into RimWorld. We've been talking about it. So a couple maps later, it plays really well on the Steam Deck and, you know, makes. Plane, plane rides go by really, really fast. So, yeah, definitely nice. don't don't mind that one. And you don't have to pay super big attention to it, right? It's not like a, a Twitch style game. Just just play it. What about you? Anything new? Um, not nothing particularly new. Um, I dove back into Stacklands a little bit the other day because saw that there had been a lot of updates to that. That was fun. Um. And I've been playing still a fair bit of Spellforce Conquest of EO. That has certainly captured my attention still. It's not released it yet. Um, and then uh, another game that I had been playing a fair bit earlier, 
um, was the last spell, and they just released in 1.0 this morning, actually. So I played a, a little chunk of that today before we recorded, and I'm excited to delve a little more into that now that it's out in 1.0 and there are achievements and there's all kinds of fun stuff to do. So yeah, that's yeah. I haven't had a I've, I've had a little more time I would say to play lately than I have in the, uh, in, in the past few weeks before that. So it's been nice to actually get some gaming in. Uh, yeah, I haven't com- done as much uh, factory gaming necessarily. Yeah, and the ski season's coming to a close, so I'm about to have a lot more free time on the weekends, at least, to play. And, you know, not traveling so much. We were all the way up into upper Idaho, up in Sandpoint, up there for a recent trip. It's gorgeous country up there this time of year. Yep. Highly recommended. We got uh, introduced to a few new factory games lately. I know uh, one uh, new one, uh, someone... Suggested on the Discord is Assembly Planner that we're going to have to check out. Then I saw another one on Steam that I wish listed that we're going to have to check out. Revive and Prosper. Kind of an RTS-style game. It looks a little more a la Cuba Factorium than many of the others. Uh, It looks interesting. Sort of a mixture of survival and factory. Thanks for joining us tonight. If you have any suggestions for us, please let us know. Head over to our website, bottomnutgaming.com, where you'll see links to our Discord server. We have a nice games database up there. We also have a social section for where you can link to other content creators that are talking about this genre. We'll see you next time. As always, the factory must grow.